0: You're listening to the USC Christian Challenge podcast. Produced by students and staff at the University of Southern California, we seek to connect and equip students to know Jesus, live lives that are honoring to him, and to make him known to their communities. You can learn more about us at uccristianchallenge.com and connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at USC challenge. Welcome to the challenge. Something else going on. We want to follow the Bible. Um, you know, we, we know as Christians and as we've been talking about this semester, you know, knowing God means that we can really trust him and we know that being in his will is just the best place to be. We can really trust him with that. So as Christians, when we're approaching decisions, you know, no matter how small, we should ask a different question. First, what does the Bible say about what I'm about to do? You know, that, that is a great question. It's an essential question. You know, we, we, are, we are privileged to have scripture to guide us and let us know what is pleasing to God. He's given us guidelines to really walk through life in a way that um, uh, is is, correct and leads to good outcomes. Um, so if the Bible clearly speaks to an area and labels that as, as sin, the, the decision-making process is over. You stop right there. You know, no questions out it's asked. you know, that that cannot be the will of God. You know, God's will will never contradict his word. And that's probably gonna knock out a lot of bad decisions, but there is a problem with that. And that's what I wanna talk about tonight. There's a lot of gray area too in life. You know, the Bible does not speak directly to each and every unique situation that you're gonna face. You know, you're not gonna be reading in your quiet time one morning, then Jesus said, don't work at Google. And you're like, oh, that made my decision for me. The Bible doesn't talk about that. Uh, So I think a lot of times we see, oh, it's not a sin. And then we just go back to the other questions. Well, what will make me feel good? What's going to make me happy? What's going to get me where I want to go? And that's the process that we tend to use. But I think that is a deceitful way to make decisions. Uh, it, it, look, it feels spiritual and it looks spiritual. We check the Bible. That's great. Um, but there's more to the equation than just, is it sin? And I want to tell you a story to illustrate that. It's not a, uh, <laughs> it's not a story I'm proud of, but I think it's one worth telling Uh, because I think it's pretty instructive. It's definitely been instructive to me over the years. And it's a story of how I made the decision to drink when I turned 21. Um, Before I turned 21, I had no alcohol whatsoever. Um, I wasn't interested in it, first of all. And also, I knew what the Bible said that we need to, you know, follow the laws, the laws that are given to us. So in America, that means if you are under 21, that is a sin to drink. And again like i said i really didn't have a desire to get drunk the bible also clearly labels that as sin uh we are instructed to to drink in moderation if at all um so when i turned 21 you know i had some alcohol here and there um never really consistently um and always in the bounds of that you know never never um too much always in moderation and and over that year of of being 21 i kind of figured out oh there are certain things that i like and i like the taste of those um, and so eventually, like I said, over the course of that year, going into when I turned 22, I, I kind of fell into a rhythm of having a drink. Uh, most, I would say, Friday nights. Uh, it wasn't necessarily every Friday night. And usually I was just at home. I lived at Bonsalo. I so just hanging out in Bonsalo. But um, my, my decision-making process was this. Is it a sin for a 21-year-old to drink in moderation? No. Um, I was within the bounds of scripture on that. And so the next question was, do I like it? And the answer was yes. So I decided to that was my process. Uh, even if other people were over, if it was just me and my roommates, if I was just alone, you know, it didn't factor in. Now, one day, Neil gave me a ride to work. I worked over at the health science campus, and it was raining. Traffic was really bad, so we were maybe getting there slower than, than normal. And, and so, in bumper to bumper traffic, at some point, I don't remember exactly when, Neil turns to me and he says, "So, tell me something, buddy." Um, and this is code for a rebuke is coming. So I'm, I'm starting to frantically like what what is he gonna say like oh no what was gonna happen and, and he says tell me why is it that I heard some of the freshmen call you the drunk of Bonsalvo now I almost vomited in the car and not because I was drunk but because I was just horrified that that had uh, that that had happened I had I was just very shocked as you would imagine um, but. I, as I thought about it, and after the shock wore off, I kind of knew what had happened because, you know, my roommates, they, they knew that I wasn't hiding it. Uh, my, my roommates knew that I would have, you know, a drink occasionally. And, uh, you know, they would always joke, oh, Eric's getting drunk again. And we would laugh. Ha, 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 It was very funny. Um, but somehow that had trickled down throughout the ministry. And that was, that was a big deal. And as I was talking to Neil about this, my eyes were really open to some of the things that my decision-making process had missed. One of the people I was mentoring had a history of struggling with underage drinking. I was not being a very <laughs> encouraging example to him. You know, I don't really know quite how much damage that did, and I will have to, um, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, bring that up and give account uh, to God for that one day. But um, it became very clear very quickly that I was not making that decision to drink in a vacuum. There were people around me that my process did not take into account, but that my decision really impacted. And it was a bad decision. We're not making decisions in a vacuum as we make you know, our choices. Is it sin? That is a great place to start. But there's more we need to consider if we want to glorify God in our decision making. Unfortunately for us, scripture gives us guidelines on how to approach some of these decisions that fall into that gray area of life. Paul discusses this better process for Christians in his first letter to the Corinthians. And what you see in Paul's letter is that Christian decision-making is not about building yourself up, but it's really about building others up. Paul puts it like this in the first verse of chapter eight. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. What is he talking about here, food offered to idols? Well, Corinth was a, a major city and it was full of temples to Greek and Roman gods, Zeus and, and things like that. And in these temples, people would sacrifice food in, in worship to the gods. And then after sacrificing the animals, they would either eat the meat in a uh, you know, ceremonial meal or they would go and sell it in, in the marketplace. And the question was, could the Christians in Corinth eat that meat even though it had been used in these religious ceremonies and these uh, worship of, of, of these false gods? And you see there in the verse that there's quotations around all of us possess knowledge. Uh, Paul is referencing something that the Corinthians said in dialogue with him. Basically, the Corinthians are saying that we should be able to eat this meat because we possess knowledge. What is this knowledge? Well, let's read on and see. We're going to jump ahead to verse four. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence. Again, quotes, something that the Corinthians said. There is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. So the Corinthians are arguing to Paul that they know, they have knowledge that the gods in the temple, Zeus and all these other things, they're not real. So when they're eating this meat, they're not doing it to honor Zeus. Uh, it's not, there's nothing like spooky about the meat. It's just a piece of meat to them. You know, so, and I understand this. I like meat. They just want to enjoy the meat and be part of kind of the, the social scene and be part of the, you know, the, the, cele- not the celebration of the God, but be part, you know, be where everyone else is. And it sounds like a, a solid argument, but take a step back and think about the decision-making process that they're using. Is it a sin to eat this meat? No. And Paul agrees with that. You know, He's right. That that there's nothing weird about the meat that these gods aren't real. Is it a sin? No. But then the next question is, do we like the meat? Yes. Well, then eat. Sounds a lot like my alcohol argument. But Paul points out in the next verse, something that they are missing and not taking an account as they make this decision. Not all possess this knowledge, but some through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled. The reality was that some Christians in Corinth were legitimately struggling with this issue. When they ate the meat or saw other people eating the meat, it reminded them of their formal, formal, for, former excuse me, worship, and, and they were tempted to fall back into that rather than really putting their trust solely in Christ, as we're called to do as Christians. For them, it, it wasn't just a piece of meat. It was idolatry. And again, thinking back to my alcohol story, I had knowledge. You know, I was not being tempted Uh, I never felt like I was going to go too far. um, But there were others around me that could have fallen into that temptation. So Paul urges the Corinthians to think about this decision in a much different way. He says this in verses 8 through 10. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who, who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple... Will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols you see the first question is there is it a sin that is essential to ask we can't skip that one the answer in this case is no it is not a sin to eat the meat the corinthians had the freedom to do that but then look at verse 9 the next question is not well are you hungry is it beef or pork tonight the next question is how will this impact others what caused them to stumble, what encourage them to get into a bad situation. It's really looking to build them up over building yourself up. See, the knowledge of is something sin or not is not enough to make a good decision in the gray areas of life. You need love, a desire to really build others up in order to make good decisions, decisions that really glorify God. In this case, it was much more important to love the weaker believers and to enjoy some meat. That was a good decision. And the stakes for this were were very high. Look at how Paul describes what is going on to these weaker believers, as he calls them. And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. I mean, what a (laughs) powerful word to use there, destroy the brother for whom Christ died. Thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble you see this is this is a serious thing there's strong wording here leading other people into sin being a bad example causing them to stumble it's not it's not a joke it it, it is serious and so for paul the decision was obvious i'm not going to eat the meat i'll just have the salad it's just not not worth it to to lead other people into to sin even unintentionally again the same the same was true in my situation i didn't realize it but you know, I caused others to stumble. I tempted them into sin. And, and thus, I actually did sin against them. And as the Bible says right here, I sinned against Christ. That is, a, that is a serious thing. It's not worth it. That was a bad decision. So we need to be aware of how our choices impact others. We are not making these decisions in a vacuum. Now, the application maybe is obvious to you. Just stop hanging out with weak people because they really bring us down. And, and you know, there, you know, just get rid of them. Obviously, that is not the application here. Remember the first verse: how knowledge pops up. This is what that looks like. Uh, if you're begrudging the weak, if you're acting like, well, it's their problem. You know, if my actions does something to strip them up, that's their problem. They should have known better. No, that, that's not that's not the spirit of this at all. That's not what the Bible is saying. Weak is not meant to be belittling here at all. It's just a reality. You know, and really, if you think about it, we all have areas in which we are weak in faith. And so Paul is calling us to be sensitive to that, take some responsibility in that. Is that a good example? But I I do admit, it is sometimes a hard thing to swallow. Why should we limit our freedoms because someone else is weaker in a certain area than us? It's a legitimate question. I I think in order to really see why this makes sense, why this decision-making process and framework makes sense, we need to realize that there's something Bigger going on around us than just our personal freedom, than just getting to enjoy some meat. And Paul addresses this bigger picture in the next verses in chapter nine. And in chapter nine, he talks about different rights and freedoms that he has. He mentions a couple things. He talks about getting married. He talks about collecting money for for preaching. And Paul has decided not to get married and, and not to collect money when he when he preaches the gospel. And why why does he forego these things? Well, he tells us in. Uh, chapter 9, verse 12. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, again referring to the rights I just mentioned, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. You see, Paul realized and was very aware that in everything he did, he was an ambassador for Christ. The things he did mattered, and, and, and he was a representative for Jesus, and so he didn't want any obstacle in the way of him sharing that any obstacle in in the way of the gospel. So instead of asking the question, well, would I enjoy getting married uh, or do I want more money? He asked the question before that, what is best for building the people up around me with the gospel? That was his decision-making process. Now I do want to pause here and and just make something clear. Um, Paul's situation may not be your situation. You know, for Paul, just think about it for a second. His decision to make, not get married made perfect sense for him. It freed him up to travel throughout the region. Uh, it freed him up to do some some dangerous things and get into some dangerous situations without having to worry about providing a family or, or leaving anyone behind. Uh, it is what God specifically called him to do that may not make sense for your situation. I mean, if you look around a lot of the staff, members are married, uh, Neil is married. I think that was a great decision if you talk to Neil. He married Melinda because he knew that together they would be better suited to, to glorify God. Uh, together than if they were alone you know the application here is not oh if if there's something you want and and you think it's gonna make you happy god probably wants you to give it up so just don't even try and that's, that's not what this is trying to say the application is before you start asking those questions of will this make me happy will this you know get me ahead stuff like that you ought to be asking some other questions first will this put me in a best in a better position to build people up will this advance the gospel we're ambassadors for Christ, so there's more at stake in our decision than just our personal freedoms and, you know, missing out on, on a tasty piece of meat or uh, things like that. You know, I was an ambassador for Christ when I chose to drink. Not a good ambassador for Christ, but an ambassador nonetheless. And I, I, because I wasn't aware of that, I made a dumb decision that that had some, some consequences to that. So Paul is trying to get us to see this all makes sense in the context of the bigger picture around us. Look what he says in a little later in the chapter, starting in verse 24, he compares this to athletes running a race. And he says, do you not know that in a race, all, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable reef, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified think about the analogy here for a second you know athletes they can do whatever they want um, you know but they make decisions based on a bigger goal you know winning the race in this case this perishable reef that that paul mentions and as a result of that they don't eat certain things they give up their free time to train they discipline their bodies and they they sacrifice for the for the bigger goal you know i cannot be an athlete i like sitting too much and i like pizza and ice cream Too much, and there's nothing wrong with sitting and eating pizza and ice cream. I'm free to do that, but I need to understand that by choosing to do that, I'm not going to be a professional athlete anytime soon. And the same is true in our decisions in life. We are we are free to do many different things that the Bible does not explicitly call out as sin. We have a lot of freedom, but we miss risking out on. The real prize of life, getting to participate with God in advancing the gospel, getting to build others up um, in their faith and and share Jesus with them. This is the imperishable reef that Paul mentions here. It's the real prize of life. So from Paul's perspective, the decision there was obvious, meat or gospel, marriage or gospel. For Paul, Paul picked advancing the gospel every single time, no matter the cost to himself. He says it right there. He didn't run aimlessly through life. He did not box as beating the air. You know, he really disciplined himself in his decision-making and what he did to advance the gospel. And he's calling us to do the same. Don't run aimlessly through life, just chasing what makes you happy. And you know, all that's going to perish, but rather when you're making decisions, base, base them on what is imperishable. And when you're making decisions, make decisions that put you in a better position to build others up in Christ. Paul ends this in chapter 10 and, he, and he, he talks a little bit more about idolatry and clarifies a little more of that. And then he goes into uh, this section that we actually have seen before. Uh, quite recently, Aaron shared about this. It's um, 1 Corinthians 10, 31 to 33. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. That, that is the greater context of this passage. Give no offense to the Jews or to the or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone and everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. See, Paul filtered every single decision he made through the question of will this glorify God? Will this show other people what he is like and what he ate and what he drank and how he worked and how he spent his free time? Even I'm sure how he spent his Friday nights at solo if he was there, Paul was always looking to glorify God. That was the more important thing to him. And if that meant sacrificing some of his personal freedoms in order to really help others out and and make sure that the gospel was clear to them, he did that. Verse 33, you see it right there. He was not seeking his own advantage. He wasn't trying to get ahead. He was after something much bigger than that. Now the question is, does that remind you of anyone else? This is exactly how Jesus made his decisions. I mean, think about it, being crucified, Could you imagine if Jesus asked the question, will this make me happy? Will this get me ahead? Would not have gone as well for us, you know, taking the wrath of God for our sins. not an enjoyable thing, but Jesus decided to do it for you and me. And that's why right after this, to start chapter 11, Paul says this, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul didn't make this up. Paul is just following Jesus' example. And we're called to do the same thing. As followers of Jesus, we ought to be making decisions the same way you did. Just imagine for a second how different your your decision-making process and the questions you'd be asking would be if you put some of this into practice. Instead of, well, what job is going to get me the most money or what location is the cheapest for me to live in? First, you would probably ask questions more like, well, where can I be a light in my workplace? Where can I work so that I can be connected to a community of believers where where I can really learn I can really serve and help them grow as well while you're in college instead of asking how can I get the most out of my time and build up my resume and be a part of all the clubs I want to be in first you'd probably ask how could I really contribute while I'm in college where can I serve where who can I help and who can I learn from so that I could be a sharper instrument to share the gospel and, and be part of that later See, these are the kinds of questions, and this is the kind of attitude that helps you make better decisions, decisions that have a lasting impact, really decisions that glorify God. So, with all that in mind, and kind of with the, the perspective that we need, what are then some best practices that will really help as you approach these decisions that are gonna be coming uh, in your life? Well, first, I have three things that I would suggest. First take time to study the word. Take that seriously. You know, you should be looking to grow in your knowledge and understanding of the word of God, not not knowledge in the sense of what we talked about before, where you're just becoming arrogant or puffed up, but really understanding the greater picture, the greater story that God is telling through the scripture. You know, first of all, that's really going to help you answer the question, is this a sin? Because you'll have a better understanding of all all that the Bible says. That is an essential question that you need to ask every single time that you make a decision. Uh, It's going to save you from a lot of bad ones. But in addition to that, as you grow in your understanding, again, it's going to give you a better, just better insight into the bigger picture that God is telling, a better perspective. You know, as, as we read scripture, we find that life is not really about us. Scripture reminds us of that. It changes our heart. It renews our mind so that we're better equipped to live that out. So I really encourage you to devote time to studying the word. Even if you don't have a big decision coming up, prepare yourself because they're coming. And especially if you have a big decision you're making, take time to get time in the word. It's really going to help give you that perspective that you need. The next thing is ask God for wisdom and guidance. There's this incredible verse in James chapter one. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. I don't know about you, but that is an incredible promise to me. God, the, the creator of all things, literally the inventor of wisdom, promises to give you wisdom if you just ask, why Why wouldn't you do that? You, you'd have to be really stupid to refuse uh, the wisdom from the creator of the entire universe, I think. But if you keep reading that verse, there is a, a um, condition On that statement, your heart needs to be in the right place. Look at what he says, let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double minded man unstable in all his ways. And what this is referring to here is you can't just check a box on this one. Like, God, tell me what to do. Okay, thanks. Now I'm going to go and do what I wanted to do the whole time. This this doubt here is describing a person who kind of goes back and forth. They want to trust God, but they also just want to do their own thing. And God says, hey, if that's you, don't come. You're not going to use the wisdom. Now, obviously, you know, you're never going to have perfect motives and you really have to lean into wanting God's wisdom and wanting to do what he says. Um, but really what this is trying to tell us is as we come to God and approach him for wisdom and guidance, come with an open hand on your plans. Come with an open hand on your decision. Uh, God, I want to make a decision that glorifies you, no matter what that is. Um, so please just really help me to see, help me to, to, to know what that is. And as you do that, you may find he is prompting you to do something. He may put a desire on your heart. Uh, maybe he's going to make a need known or open your eyes to something you didn't see before. Uh, but it really is amazing that <laughs> and I've seen this many times that if you ask God for wisdom. He really does the boldest promise and, and give it to you. So take the time to really in prayer, seek his wisdom and guidance with an open heart as you're making decisions. And the third thing is get advice from wise counsel. You all probably saw this one coming. Uh, no surprise. Proverbs twelve fifteen says the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs fifteen twenty two without counsel plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. I could have had a whole list and could have spent a long time reading a bunch of proverbs and verses about this one. Um, and why is that? Because it's really important. Um, you know, I was a fool with the, the drinking story. You know, I was right in my own eyes, and I missed a lot of stuff because uh, I was a fool, as the Bible says. Um, I, I really do wish I had spoken to Neil earlier. Than that car ride, I would have been able to see, or he would have helped me to see a lot more things, and and had that perspective that I desperately needed to make a good decision in that in that kind of gray area. You know, God has placed people in your life who have more experience than you and who have been walking with God longer than you. You know, listen to them, learn from them. It, it really does help. So, if, if you started doing those things um, again, having that perspective and that different process in your decision-making and then really applying these, these, these best practices, as I call them, uh, what do you think would happen as, as you started making decisions? Well, let me tell you a different story now. Um, thankfully, I've matured since that, uh, hopefully. And <laughs> I have a story of, of how this actually does works. Um, and this is the story of how I decided to uh, stay at my job uh, about a year and a half in. And spoiler alert, I'm still at that job, so I decided to stay. Uh, the company's called Sonosim and, and I got hired right out of college. Um, but about a year and a half in, I, I really was not doing the things I wanted to do in my career. Um, I have a degree in, in uh, biomedical engineering and the things I were doing on my job, while I was somewhat related, I really wasn't doing what I, the kind of engineering design stuff that I'd wanted to do. And I felt kind of, kind of stuck after a year and a half of just like, I really don't know if this is developing me in the way I want it to. Um, in addition to that, um, I was probably getting paid about 10000 to 15000 give or take, less than I thought I would be making at that time. And that's, I'm not, you know, I'm not being unrealistic about that. I knew people who had graduated around my time who, who were making that much. And I was like, why? I could be making so much more. And, you know, if I'd been making, or if I'd been using that same decision-making process that, I'd been use, that I used when I made the decision to, to um, drink at solo it would have been, is it a sin to change jobs? It's not. Uh, will it be an advantage to me to switch jobs? Yeah, it would. And I would have left. Um I had my resume all set to go, I was looking at jobs, but uh, I had matured a little bit uh, since my college days in my, in my decision-making and um, I, I did put these best practices into action. Um, and as I got some advice and talked to people about it and, and really sought God's wisdom and God's direction, my eyes were open to some other things that were going on around me. I was not making this decision in a vacuum. There were other people around me. There was more to the equation than just my job satisfaction and compensation. Uh, there were no Christians in the office at the time, uh, at least none that were actively trying to share Christ with other people. Uh, but but I was, and I was really connecting with my coworkers. We were like genuine friends. We, we got lunch all the time. We Every lunch, we would do a crossword puzzle. And if we finished it, we'd all sign it and hang it up above our our desks. And we just had a, a great time just hanging out and we hung out outside of work. We were legitimate friends and I was getting opportunities to share my testimony with them. I was getting opportunities to demonstrate what a life following Christ looks like uh, in the good. And also when you messed up, like, you know, cleaning that up, things like that. Um, and my eyes were really opened up to that as I started praying and gaining advice. And I saw that, you know, if I leave, they may not have another opportunity to hear this. And, and I was just opened up to the bigger picture that was around me. It was not an easy decision. Uh, it was a battle for a few months, again, you know, kind of looking at other jobs. I, like I said, I had my resume already. Um, but through the, the goodness and the grace um, and the providence of God, I was actually reading First Corinthians when this was all going on in my quiet times. You know, I was, I was really putting to practice trying to learn the scriptures as well. Um, and so these principles that I talked about tonight were really just fresh and raw in my mind. Um, and and as, I was, as I was studying, one day I came across this verse that, that, that really uh, sealed it for me. It's at the very end of the letter, and Paul writes this. I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will say in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Seems like a random verse, but but just look it up for a second. Paul really desired to go spend time with the Corinthians, but he had the attitude of I'm really going to seek the guidance of God if the Lord permits," he says. And as he did that, his eyes were opened up to what was going on in Ephesus, where he was at the time. And there was a wide door for sharing the gospel there. There was a lot of people around him who he could really help. And the interesting part, and there were many adversaries, so there was challenges, but. Paul made a decision to stay where he was in that less than ideal situation, to really look to advance the gospel, to share Jesus with them. Uh, If you look in Acts 19, you see this actually caused a riot. You know, the the adversary thing was very serious. But there was a bigger picture around Paul, who was not making this decision in a vacuum. You know, Paul, as I read this, I realized Paul didn't just preach this stuff. He really lived it. Um, And it made a big difference. And this this verse just... um, it just cut me like straight to the heart. Uh, as I, I vividly remember exactly where I was, like you know, I would drive to work and, and do my quiet times in the car, and I remember the parking spot and everything where I read this first. Um, and it just it just stuck with me. And I actually have my my journal here from that morning. I want to read to you what I wrote. Um, August twenty fifth, two thousand sixteen. Struck by First Corinthians sixteen five through eight this morning. Paul wants to spend time with the Corinthians, but not now. He has the attitude of if the Lord permits. He is seeking God's will, despite what he wants. In verse 8, he chooses to stay in Ephesus because a wide door for effective work is open to him. Paul is prioritizing the mission over his personal desires. This relates to me and Sonosim. I desire a more engineering type job, but here God has opened a wide door for me. Even in things like yesterday, apologizing to Teresa and Jessica for getting frustrated. I don't remember exactly what this incident was, but I think I got frustrated at a meeting and said something stupid. So the next day I came and and apologized. Uh, These were both my bosses at the time. Uh, Apologizing to Teresa and Jessica for getting frustrated. I'm given opportunities to show my coworkers that God is real and affects how I live. I would be foolish to leave while the opportunity is still there. So I stayed. Uh, I made the decision right there that morning that after gaining advice and uh, asking God for guidance, this was, this is what I needed. So I decided to stay Um, fast forward. Now, uh, like I said, I'm still at the job. Uh, And since then, two people uh, have become Christian and I got to play a role in that I was there to continue to share my testimony, to continue to invest in them, invite them, share the gospel. And God, You know, over time worked in their hearts and and brought them to Jesus. Um, question I have is: how much do you think those souls are worth? More than ten or fifteen thousand dollars a year. That was a good decision. That was a really good decision. God really used that for his glory. How are you making your decisions? You know, what what process are you using? You make decisions every single day. And you know what, every single day you are influencing people around you every single day. You are an ambassador for Christ. You're not in a vacuum. The decisions you make matter, not just for yourself, but for the people around you. So you know what, if you make them and go with this process, really looking for God's glory as your priority, you know, using the scripture, And wisdom to guide you, he can lead you to do some amazing things. He could do some amazing things through you. There there are some awesome promises in the Bible about what happens in and around those who really decide to do things for God's glory. So I want to leave you tonight just with one of those promises. Uh, I really hope that it encourages you to to take this seriously and, and put this into practice. And it's Isaiah 58, 10 through 11. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Let's pray. God, um, I'm just very thankful that... uh, you guide us, and God, that you are there to uh, to help us and to counsel us. I pray, God, that we really take you up on that. I pray, God, that we would, uh, you just give us the heart and the perspective to see that our decisions matter, um, and there are, there are imperishable things that hang in the balance. So I pray, God, that you would just help us to get beyond ourselves and be wise in our decision making, really look to your glory. You are a glorious, wonderful God, and uh, worth all of that. You're worth everything. So God, I pray that you would just open our eyes today as as we're all making decisions. Help us to see what you want us to see. Help us to prioritize you. So thank you, God, so much that you are there for us. Thank you so much for your guidance. We, We love you and we look to you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the USA Christian Challenge podcast. You can subscribe and listen to new and old episodes on your favorite podcast platforms. And if you like what you heard, leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps us to reach others with these resources. Once again, you can learn more about us at usachristianchallenge.com or find us on social media at USC Challenge.